Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Jonathan Anthony at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Tonight is the fourth installment on our series on the Heart of Kings, and I'll be talking to you about zeal tonight. You see, the word zeal comes from its Greek origin, meaning zealous which means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of advancing a cause or an objective. Please be aware that there is also a a misguided zeal. You can be zealous about the wrong things, not necessarily zealous and enthusiastic on the things of God. Zeal also means dedication or enthusiasm for something, and it's often used in a religious sense, meaning devotion to God or another religious object. Our text tonight really is about the life and the leadership of King Jehoshaphat when uh, the Lord told King Jehoshaphat to conquer his very own fear. Conquer his fear first, and God will conquer his enemies. As we can see, sometimes more uh, the, the fear that is internal and within us can be more powerful than the enemy that is external and outside of us. And we need to be aware of that because often, more often than not, the fear that is within us and that is internal can be paralyzing and debilitating for us. And so King Jehoshaphat was basically... Uh, commanded to, by God to say, do not fear and do not be discouraged because the battle is not yours. It is God's. And only if we can truly believe that truth, it means all things are possible with God. Amen? Whether we like it or not, we face many battles in life. And that is just the reality of life because we live in a broken world that is caused by sin. All the problems that we have, all the the trials and the challenges that we face basically is a byproduct of sin. The order of things has changed from Genesis chapter 3. We are no longer to just kind of pick the fruit and eat and enjoy what we want. No, we have been cursed to dig the ground so we can survive and eat. And not only that, we will also be facing different challenges and battles and difficulties in life. And that is going to be the new order. That is the reality. And so tonight our reading is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 19. And it will be read to us by Gary Lowe, who is getting married very soon. Come on, Gilo. Show us some inspiration. 2 Chronicles 21 to 19. Reading from the NIV UK. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A great, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazanite, Tamar, that is Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord 
in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Then they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. You will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehoshaphat, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattiah, the Levite and the descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid and discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and they will be climbing up after the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from Kohathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. I feel sorry for Gary for all those interesting words there, names and places and all that, but you survived. Thank you so much for reading. Well, just to give you a little bit of background, King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah who became one of the country's most successful king for one simple reason. He followed the commands of God. We are first introduced to King Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings chapter 15, where at the age of 35, Jehoshaphat basically succeeded his father Asa, who was the first good king over Israel, and he became king at the age of 35. 
King Jehoshaphat did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And in fact, one of the, re- the very first reforms that he did when he came into power was basically to abolish idol worship in the temples. And then not only that, but King Jehoshaphat also cleared out male cult prostitutes in the temple and destroyed all the little gods that are present there because these are false gods, the gods that the pagan nations worship. And King Jehoshaphat's objective and desire and purpose really is to encourage and to create and to gather the people of Israel to the one worship of the true God, Yahweh. That was one of the reforms that he did. In fact, more than that, Jehoshaphat also sent priests into the villages and to the towns of Jerusalem that these priests may teach the villagers the commands of God and the statutes of Yahweh. He did that. And so Jehoshaphat found favor before the eyes of Yahweh. He was zealous about the temple and the worship of the one true God. The Moabites, on the other hand, were natural enemies of the Israelites. If you know a little bit of background of the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were actually descendants of Lot. Not necessarily from his wife, because his wife died and became a pillar of salt. So the tribe of Moab was basically a tribe that came out of the ancestral relationship between Lot and his daughters. And out of that came this people who began to worship pagan gods and idolatry. And not only that, that they do this, but they also offer child sacrifices to their gods. And so because of this, God looking down in His holiness and His righteous indignation, He does not want these people to infiltrate and influence the Israelite people. And so He wanted to actually destroy these people. And yet, so this is what happened. And so our text tonight picks up where in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the three tribes of Moab and the Ammonites and the Meonites decided to round up and put together their resources and gang up because they wanted to march, charge, and wage war against the Israelite people under the kingship of King Jehoshaphat. They wanted to invade Jerusalem. Now let me tell you, if there is one thing that can kill zeal, enthusiasm, and passion for God, it will be problem. Trials, battles, that necessarily, not, not necessarily battles as in facing the enemy front line. The battles that we face can be expressed and manifested in different ways. One of the biggest killers of zeal and passion and enthusiasm, expresses itself in different ways in people. It could be disappointment. It could be unmet expectations. It could be losing a job or losing or death of a loved one. It could be a serious illness that is just a recent diagnosis. It could be a marital breakdown or any other unexpected things that will happen that causes us pain and trauma and heartache is what kills zeal and enthusiasm and passion Not just for God, but even in life in general. Amen? But you see, sometimes the things that worry us are those things that only God can do and solve. And so when we begin to think on how you will solve and face this battle, instead of asking and seeking God to help you, the problem will become bigger if you focus on your problem. 
But if you focus and lift your gaze on God, the greater chances are that the problem will decrease and become smaller. Why? Because God is way bigger than all of our human problems. He is able to solve it. He is able to fix it because nothing is impossible with Him. And so given that these things are expected, how are we going to respond? How are we supposed and how should we respond to these challenges, to these battles, to these difficulties and trials that presents itself before us? There are four principles I would like to to share with you from our passage tonight. Uh, 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 From the life and leadership of King Jehoshaphat. And, And the first principle is this. That King Jehoshaphat... Reach out to the Lord. In verses 1 to 4, it's very clear that when he found out that there's this vast army of three nations ganging up together to charge and wage war against them, one of the very first response of King Jehoshaphat was to seek and to reach out to God and seek for counsel and advice. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, it's very clear that it says, King Jehoshaphat basically came before the Lord and inquired of the Lord to know God's will and heart and purpose. And once he knows that, he will obey and worship the Holy One. He declared a corporate fast among the people of Israel and said, hey, this is, we're going to be facing a terrible battle. And you know what I can do is I would like to command every single one of us, let's all gather together and fast and pray. Commune with God and find out a bit more about what it is that God wants, wants us to do exactly. And verses 1 to 4 also shows us that the people, including King Jehoshaphat, was really seeking help from the Lord. So the first immediate response from King Jehoshaphat was to reach out to the Lord. Sometimes for many of us, myself included sometimes, that when we are confronted with battles, our very first response, instead of reaching out to God, we run away from God. That seems to be a very common human response. But here we see King Jehoshaphat was reaching out to the Lord for help, was seeking and inquiring God's guidance and leading in, in leading these people as they fight the Moabites. That is one key significant characteristics of King Jehoshaphat. There's another account in 2 Kings chapter uh, 3, I think, where, where King Jehoshaphat was also seeking qui- counsel and inquiry uh, to the Lord through the prophet Elisha. He was not dependent on his own ability to strategize and work out how they might fight the Moabites. He has fought battles before. He's done it. He probably has a bit of a few strategies in his, uh, in his bag. And yet that was not his first response. Not his experience. Not what he has done before. He was like, let's reach out to the Lord and seek God for help. You know, Jeremiah 29 verses 12 to 13 says, Then you will call me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, one of the things that God loves is when we reach out to Him and seek Him out in the midst of our battle, in the midst of our problem, in the midst of our difficult circumstances. And Matthew reinforces that basically in Matthew 6.33 where it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. All these problems 
He's going to help you. He said, all these things will be given to you as well. What is it that you need? We just need to have the attitude of seeking out the Lord for guidance and His leading. When Janelle and I decided to move to Perth, it was an 18-month journey for us. It wasn't easy to uproot the whole family with young kids leave our families in Melbourne and France and move to Perth with no family support and not knowing anyone. Four years ago, nearly four years ago now, I didn't know any of you. And you didn't know us either. And I remember very clearly when God started to orchestrate the plan one Tuesday night, Janelle and I were kneeling. We put the kids, the kids to bed early. And we were kneeling in our bed. And we were crying and praying and crying out to the Lord. And just pouring out our hearts. And we just cried to the Lord and said, God, what is it that you want us to do? What is the next step of our ministry? What does our future look like? And we prayed. And we reached out to the Lord. And we were seeking for His guidance and His counsel. Because we knew that it's not going to be easy. And the very next day, the very next day, after that night of prayer and crying out to the Lord, Nick Scott rang me. I've never spoken to Nick ever in my life. I didn't know him at all. And he rang me. And we had a conversation. And the rest is history. And here we are four years later. Isn't God incredible in the way he leads, in the way he guides, and in the way he directs our path? We only need to reach out to the Lord rather than run away from him. You know, sometimes we're basically, I believe we're living in a day and age where our first point of call when we are confronted with problems, the sad thing is we go to Google. Oh, we've got a stomach ache, we've got a headache, oh, you Google. And then up comes all this information that sometimes really, really scary. You might as well not read them. Research shows that there's 70,000 Google queries per second. And there are 4 million Google searches happening every minute. How many of you have Googled how to tie a tie? How to bake the most moist chocolate cake? How to bake cupcake or how to do this and, and all this how to, how to. And it has become natural and part of our day-to-day life that our first go-to is Google if we have problems instead of going to God. Now, I'm not being very simplistic, but you see, it's really important for us to understand that when we are facing difficult situations, there is actually a higher power that we can go to. The God who is sovereign, the God who is all-powerful. All we need to do is just to come to him and seek him and reach out to him and seek him out. And he will show you the way. And he will direct you. It's very clear, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The second principle that we can learn from this passage is found in verse 6 to 11. Where King Jehoshaphat basically declared, remembering God's faithfulness and promises. He said, God of heaven and earth. He was declaring God's power. 
You rule, declaring God's sovereignty. Power and might are yours, declaring God's ability to accomplish His will. How did he know all these things? How did he know that God is capable? How did King Jehoshaphat know that God rules, that God is the God of heaven and earth, and that he will be able to do these things, that power and might belongs to him? You see, the Israelite people actually have firsthand experience of God's power and might. The younger generation Jew would know because one of the ways that they actually communicate is through oral tradition. Where the great-great-grandparents' ancestors would basically tell their children and their children's children about the goodness and about the faithfulness of God in their lives. How God enabled them and freed them and delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians out of Egypt into the promised land. And coming out of that and crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. And how God fed them meat and bread in the desert. And how God was able to provide water out of a rock in the desert. An average, even nominal Jew would know. Why? Because of the way of the oral tradition that they actually tell the next generation. How do we know that? Well, Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 to 9 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see? In this particular battle, King Jehoshaphat was confident that when he cries out to the Lord, when when the people of God cries out to the Lord, that he will hear their prayers and he will come and he will save them. Why? Because he has done it again in their, their ancestors and he is able to do it again. He has done it before, he will do it again. That was the confidence that he had. But I'm afraid we have lost The art of remembering and reckoning. Research shows that the average attention span of children is seven minutes for two-year-olds, nine minutes for three-year-olds, 12 minutes for four-year-olds, and 14 minutes for five-year-olds. Preschool teachers are probably aware of this. However, the most interesting thing is this. The average attention span of a millennial is a whopping 12 seconds. So I may have lost you already. But generation Z, are you ready for this? Eight seconds. Unbelievable. We have lost the art of just holding on and remembering and focusing and having attention. You know, I love talking to old people. Because when you talk to them, they have beautiful, amazing stories of their past. And I'm afraid that 50 years from now, we will have a new generation of new old people. 50 years from now, we will have a new breed of old people. The current old people, when you talk to them and you go, Hey, Grandpa, who is this? Where was this picture taken? Oh, that was when I used to fly with the Royal Flying Doctors. I was serving with them. Oh, Grandpa, what is this one? Oh, that was when I came back from Vietnam War. Oh, what about this grandma? Oh, that photo. I remember that very clearly. Clearly, We were just stepping out of the boat landing in Australia when, when, the, when we sailed from England for three months and then arriving in this country. That was the photo I remember. I was only 10 years old. 
And then we will have 50 years from now the new breed of old people. And we go, hey, grandpa, what's that? He goes, that's my breakfast. (laughs) Smash avo with poached eggs. Hey, grandma, what is that one? They go, ah, that's the handbag I wish I had. (laughs) Or you say, grandpa, who is this? Ah, that's your grandma taking a picture of herself in front of a mirror. (laughs) And just keep scrolling. There's five more of the same. (laughs) What stories? Are we going to have 50 years from now? Do you think we will have stories of the faithfulness and the goodness of God because he was true to his promises? That God's promises in our lives are actually trustworthy? Will we have those stories 50 years from now? There is power in remembering what God has done. His faithfulness, His promises. And when we do so, it energizes our faith. Because we know that He has done it to me in the past. And He will do it to me now. And He will do it again in the future. Because the God that we serve is trustworthy. And when we are facing difficult times and battles and challenges in life, sometimes maybe what you just need is to look back and say, what did God do in the past in my life? What has he done? You know, there's a beautiful old hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one and see what God has done. The third principle I want to share with you that we can extract from this passage is that King Jehoshaphat was able to recognize his own human limitation. In verses 12, he declared, Lord, we do not know what to do. We have no power. We have no ability. We have no capacity. Maybe our, our enemies are too vast. They're too huge. That has three tribes combining. We don't know, Lord. We don't have enough military power. And then he declared, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. He recognized his own human limitation. He was fully aware of his personal weaknesses and limitations of his army or anything like that. There were so many unknown in this battle. It was not a a, a battle that he was fully aware or prepared of. Because the purpose of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Meonites really was to destroy Israel one last time. And that's why they gathered their forces. Because they tried before and they haven't succeeded. Let's try again. Why don't we try three nations together? And yet King Jehoshaphat, not knowing how to fight, what to do, how to go into battle. Like, Lord, we don't know what to do. Help us. And you know that statement, but our eyes are on you, reminded me of King David's prayer in Psalm 121 verse 1 where it says, I will lift up my gaze and my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does your help come from? A genuine recognition of our own human limitation opens the door for God to intervene. Because when we acknowledge and recognize our own human limitation, it is actually a demonstration of a posture of humility and vulnerability. 
So when we surrender to God, Lord, I've had enough. That's fine. You can do that before God. I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I cannot face any difficult problem anymore. Help me. And you are opening up yourself and positioning yourself where God can actually intervene, reach out, and touch you. And touch your situation. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 is a great reminder for us. It says, But remember that the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Without God giving us the energy and the life and the strength every single day, we cannot do the work that we are doing every day. If God will switch off the oxygen supply for 10 minutes, none of us will be here. That is the reality of it. That's the fragility of life. And yet without God, we can do nothing. And that is why Paul in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. If we flip back the other way, it's basically he's saying, I cannot do anything without Christ who is going to sustain me and give me the strength. I cannot do anything. Helen Keller, a beautiful Christian blind lady, said this. The marvelous richness of human experience would lose something of rewarding joy if there were no limitations to overcome. The hilltop hour would not be so wonderful if there were no dark valleys to traverse. You know, there is still purpose in the dark valleys. There is still purpose when you climb a very high mountain and it's very tiring and exhausting. There is a purpose in that. Why? Because if you are able to traverse those difficulties, you will have a greater testimony to tell. Amen? If life is so beautiful all the time, there's really not much to tell. It provides the balance and the color and the shades of life when there are difficulties in life. And so we should not despise these things. But the good thing is we have the great assurance that God is going to be with us. Because He promised He will never leave you nor forsake you. The fourth and final principle I want to share with you tonight is this. Rejoice in the Lord whatever the circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord, whatever the circumstance. Verse 20 to 22, 27 and 28, it said there, As they began to sing, as they began to praise, as they played their instruments, declaring together with a loud voice, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. King Jehoshaphat said, Come on, people of God. Declare it. Sing it out. Shout it out. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Sing it. Say it 10,000 times. As we advance towards enemy camp, rejoice in the Lord in whatever circumstance. Do you really think that was a very smart Military tactical strategy. Let's send the band. Let's send the choir. Let's send the singers and face this army of the Moabites and the Ammonites and all that and let's feed them to the mouths of lions. Do you think that was very smart? Strategic military tactic? Absolutely not. And yet that's exactly what they did. As they began to sing, 
as they began to praise, as they began to play their instruments, as they shout out aloud, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Something amazing happened. Our reading says, the Lord Himself fought for them. Folks, let me tell you, there is power in praise and worship. There is power in praise and worship. If you look at the pattern of how God delivered His people from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, it was always accompanied with music. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt and crossing into the Red Sea, when they reached the other side, God gave them a song to sing in their hearts. When the Israelite people under the leadership of Gideon in Judges was facing the battle, Gideon was like, blow the trumpet at my instruction and blow it long and loud. And the Lord will fight for us. What about Joshua and the fall of Jericho? The Lord gave them instruction. I want you to march around the city for six days. And on the seventh day, you are to march seven times and wait for Joshua's command. Let the Levites and the priests blow their trumpets, their horn of rams with a loud voice shout out. And the walls of Jericho will fall down. There was always music every time God did something incredible in the lives of His people to fight their enemies. What about in the New Testament? Let's look at Acts chapter chapter 16, the account of Paul and Silas, where where they were uh, basically Paul was preaching about the gospel and the grace of God, and they were uh, uh, taken captive as prisoners. They were flogged, they were beaten, they were thrown into jail. And Acts 16 says, and at about midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing. And when they began to sing, there was a huge earthquake that hit the jail. And the earthquake caused the doors of the prison cells to flung open. And the earthquake caused the chain that was uh, uh, chaining them came loose. To the point that the warden was basically ready to take out his sword and commit suicide. And Paul said, don't kill yourself. We are here. We have not left. And you see, the worship of Paul and Silas did not just impact and affect themselves. It affected the whole environment. It affected the people around them. It benefited the other prisoners because they were also set free because of their worship. That is the power of praise And that is the power of worship. And you know, sometimes my heart aches when we enter into the presence of God in worship and we come with an attitude of contempt when we sing, when we worship, when in fact Scripture tells us that if you are facing a difficult battle, that should be the very first thing you should do. I've had difficult experiences in my life I've lived enough long enough and you know sometimes it's easier to sing praises when things are going well when things are rosy and happy it is not always easy to sing praises when you are in the midst of the battle and yet the people of God that's exactly what they did as they were advancing they were singing and declaring Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. This is Paul declaring. 
Rejoice in the Lord. There is power in praise and worship. And all we need to do is just to rejoice in the Lord in whatever circumstances we may be facing. Whether it is difficult to praise Him and rejoice or not. Tim Keller said this, Any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger to the cross. What battle are you facing right now? What trial, what difficulty are you facing right now? And how are you responding to those to those battles? Why don't we just bow our heads together and just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to, to search our hearts tonight and just allow the truth from His Word to teach us. Lord, I pray that we will have a heart of flesh tonight, a heart that is tender and that is soft because we know that your spirit is gentle and your love is great. So Father, tonight my prayer is this, that you will speak to us, that you will reveal your purpose to us, Lord, that you will show us. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that we may find it in the deepest recesses of our heart that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what battle we are facing, Lord, we know that we can be victorious in you because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion and the Lamb who is able to fight our battles on our behalf in the name of Jesus. So we ask, Lord God, for your help in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.